Oh, it's episode 37. Sorry. Forgot. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to episode 37, everybody. Uh, of the Masterclass, of course. But I'm sure you know that because you pushed a button and said play. And I'm sure somewhere near that button were the words the Masterclass. Just a guess. Yes. So hopefully you know you're where you are. Yes. And that sultry voice you just heard <laughs> comes from my partner in crime, Mr. Dave Hogue. How's it going, man? It is going well. It's good to be here once again. I look forward to um, our show tonight. You better. I do. And, and yes. I have this feeling it's going to be just absolutely stellar. <laughs> I'm going to call it from the beginning. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, I, I can tell you what's going to happen now. No, it's going to be stellar. Okay, Dave. All right, you hold me to that standard, sir. You, you just drag me along. as I'll just follow in your footsteps. Um, but it's episode 37. We are here, and we are back on our regular night. We had a couple of weeks there where we were uh, a few nights ahead of or behind schedule just due to travel and work and Dave winning awards and all of that <laughs> sort of stuff. Um, he's really good at his job, guys. No. Uh, <laughs> don't be. You're being too modest, Dave. Uh, anyways, uh, it's episode 37 and we were talking a bit before we hit the record button as we generally do. And we got on to, um, the topic of, uh, well, not the topic, the person of Eugene Peterson, mm -hmm. um, who is responsible for the message. And, uh, Dave was sharing some stuff with me and I thought it was really cool and interesting. So I thought that we would start the show rehashing some of that. So Dave, would you... Tell us all about Eugene Peterson and why you're currently uh, talking about him. I don't know if I can tell you all about him, uh, but I did. Uh, well, I, as you all know, I listened to my books. So I've been listening to uh, Eugene Peterson's book called The Pastor. And it was uh, how he came to be a pastor. And it was very interesting just to sort of hear him talk about uh, his early life and um, what he thought was, well, his his actual um, plan was to be a college professor. And um, for that matter, it was, I think he was kind of considering being a philosophy, a professor of philosophy, which uh, one of our other favorites, Dallas Willard, uh, did do. He was a, a professor of um, philosophy. At USC. USC, University of Southern California. I think that's what it stands Go for. Go Trojans. South Carolina. Um, Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> um, and so um, I remember once upon a time when I was reading books, uh, I did read A Long Obedience in the Same Direction, which, um, to be quite candid, uh, is still one of my favorite um, definitions or ways to explain the Christian faith is that it's a long obedience in the same direction. Um, and in his book, The Pastor, he talks about how the different things in his life and his upbringing uh, really um, pointed him towards that vocation um, when he was considering being a college professor. And um, his dad... Um, ran a butcher shop in Montana um, during the, uh, well, in the years after the Depression. And uh, Eugene Peterson himself worked in uh, the butcher shop, and he was just commenting that even that experience for him was something that pointed him towards being a pastor or enhanced him, uh, uh, his experience as a pastor, because he could relate to what uh, was going on in the Old Testament when a uh, lamb or a bull was sacrificed. And just that, you know, um, many uh, readers, when they read that Old Testament, have this very sort of uh, sterilized idea of what that is. And, you know, he just talks about, no, anybody that's been a butcher would understand what a bloody mess that would really be. And they didn't have plastic wrap to keep it all nice and, you know, like <laughs> yeah. Dexter, very sterile. Exactly. And so, um, so anyway, he just, he's another, um, gentleman that, uh, he's 83 years old and I, uh, am in awe of that. Um, not quite twice my life, but close to that. And, um, have great respect, uh, for anybody that, that 
does 80 plus years of uh, seeking Christ. And um, I, I, I can say that's something I very much desire. I desire that towards the end, I guess whether that's an hour from now or if I should be blessed with another 40 some years, um, I just hope that I am closer to Christ than I am right now. And that um, in my moments before I go home to be with God, that that is, I am, I'm just longing for that. I'm desiring that. And um, I guess in short, I've seen that with J.I. Packer, who, was, who we've talked about, and we've seen it with Dallas Willard. And um, now Eugene Peterson is another one of those people who at 83, and now I'm not implying that he's near his deathbed at all, but clearly at the end of his life, it is just evident to hear in him how much he loves the Lord, how much he desires to be home in heaven. And um, he's lived this incredible life of seeking God. And I am just grateful for examples of men like him that uh, make me go, I want to be like that. So um, I don't know. Did I do justice to what we'd <laughs> talked about earlier? Did I cover everything? Was there anything else that... Well, one one of the things I was going to ask you... Mm-hmm. Um, now that you've stopped talking, gosh. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> no, I'm just totally being a jerk. I'm I sorry. <laughs> well, I, I wouldn't say you're being a jerk. I couldn't help myself. Um, <laughs> is that you mentioned that, that book. He did not write that book until he oh, was, yeah, that was right. what, 48 or 49? He was 48 years old when he wrote the book, A Long Observance, in the same direction. And so my... And- my first reaction when you said that was, oh, so you're telling me that it's totally okay that I've not, you know, <laughs> changed the world when I'm, you know, 29 or that I don't even really know what I want to do with my life. Uh, so, but yeah, so talk about that a bit because I thought you had some you know, good things to. Uh, you know, the, I, I think one of the things that I realized was um, I read that book, um, oh, probably 15 years after he wrote it. And in my mind, when he wrote it, when I was reading it in the mid nineties, um, you know, I'm picturing somebody in their late twenties, early thirties, having written this book. And again, I just, there wasn't that really the internet wasn't around. I mean, it was new in the mid nineties, but it wasn't like it is today where you just, you know, on your phone, you look stuff up or, uh, you actually had to wait for the stupid uh, dial tone to come on. <laughs> oh, I remember that. <laughs> um, to even get online, and you paid for your minutes, and you were very sparing in your didn't time. Even pick and... up the phone, you got booted off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. Um, so in essence, I didn't take the time to to flip the front cover and go, "Oh, he wrote this in 1980." Oh, he was, but he was 48 years old when he wrote that book. And uh, again, I think there's just wisdom that comes from age and experience and a life. Uh, pursuing Christ. And while I am much closer to 48 than Cam is, um, I think we both just have that same sense of, um, it's good to know that this wasn't somebody that was just very young. It was somebody that had lived some experience or had lived some life and had some experiences. And um, I think even in that, um, and I'm not going to even put myself in the same category as a Eugene Peterson, but I just, I, you gain something from having lived life. And I think his wisdom that comes in that book definitely speaks from somebody that, um, let's see, at that point, he would have been a pastor for almost 20 years. He started the church, um, his Presbyterian church in like 1962. So he'd, he'd almost been a pastor for 20 years at that point when he wrote that book. And, um, uh, anyway, I would recommend the pastor. I would recommend uh, a long obser- a long obedience <laughs> obedience in the same direction, um, because he definitely um, even 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 starting a church in the 1960s, he was aware of how uh, the business world had inf- infiltrated the church, and that the idea of um kind of having a recipe or a formula that you followed for having a dynamic church that people wanted to be at was happening even then. And he was very turned off by that and did not feel that that was what the church was supposed to be about. So can I be honest for a second? Sure. When you said 
the, in the sixties, he saw the business world infiltrating the church. All I could think of was Mad Men, Mad Men <laughs> Church Edition, bunch of pastors in their suits and Sotera drinking holy water instead of scotch. Oh, then now that has to be a TV show. We need to be on <laughs> Oprah's network. Um, Totally not at all helpful to what you were saying, but I again, <laughs> it was, my brain does. Well, clearly, I right. went there with you as well. Because <laughs> <laughs> when you brought it up, I was man, like, yes. Man, man, man. <laughs> Anyways, uh, so yes, so Eugene Peterson, um, very cool. Um, yeah, I think you know my reaction to to you know him not really becoming famous or you know whatever term you want to use until he's much older um it's just a it's a good reminder especially for people in my generation that are so in the generations younger um success has always been a um something that you want to attain Mm -hmm. i mean that regardless of generation but with the onset of um, the internet being everywhere and people always being connected. There's this, there's this inherent competition that we find ourselves in that we're not, I'm not as successful as this guy mm-hmm. or this lady, um, or, you know, siblings or family members or friends. And there's this with such an open book or with people being such open books on social media about how much money they make or where they work and all this information being really easily attainable. It's, it's very, um, it can be very challenging for people, um, like me, you know, I'm 29. Mm -hmm. Uh, I worked in the church for a few years and then I quit and now I work at a job that I don't like. (laughs) Uh, and, and I'm trying to, you know, figure out what should I do with my life and, and, all of, you know, the, dr- the dramatic stuff that, you know, you can have in the conversations in your head that never really actually take place. And so to, to have an example like Eugene Peterson of someone who was just faithful with what he had, mm-hmm. and then after, you know, like you said, almost 20 years of experience, he then decided, you know what, I think I have something to share. That to me is encouraging because it's like at 29, I don't have to have it all figured out. Well, that's, he started the church when he was 30. <laughs> so, I mean, it's just, it, again, it's just, there's so much pressure that we put upon ourselves and that we just, we kind of uh, absorb from society to be successful early and to be rich early and to be famous early. It's like, that's not the point. The point is like, I'm 29. I'm still very young. Mm-hmm. If, you know, if I get to live to be 83, I'm just barely a third of the way there. Right. I mean, a little bit over, but still, I mean, even, even the difference between age between me and you, I'm going to know a lot more when I'm your (laughs) age than I know now. Yes. Having kids will do that to you. (laughs) So it just, I mean, all the stuff that you were saying, I, I, I get, and I agree with, but to me as someone who's, who's currently in the situation that I'm in where I'm, I'm frustrated with my, my day job, um, I don't want to do it really like I'm, I'm off tomorrow and I am so freaking happy right now <laughs> because I don't have to go Yeah, and I don't have to worry about anything. I can just shut it out for a day. Um, but to know that I'm not the only person that's doing that and that I don't have to be changing the world every day just to like be able to sleep at night. That's kind of nice to know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so anyways, uh, and just as a side note, as we talk about success and accomplishments, he did write over 30 books. <laughs> and as well, now I feel bad. I know. And as we <laughs> mentioned, <laughs> and as we mentioned, well, and I believe the, 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 um, along obedience in the same direction was his first one. I don't know that factually, but, um, and then he's best known for the message or the Bible translation, um, the message. So, and the other thing that's very interesting too, if you read his, his book, the pastor, it was not smooth sailing. I mean, he had some pretty rough situations that happened early on, um, that, uh, well, I think anyone can probably expect when they're starting a church, but 
I don't know what you're talking about, Dave. Christians <laughs> all get along. Yeah. And well, they're all really respectful. That is not true, and we're going to read that today in our Bible verse that we're going to discuss. Ooh. Dave Hogue, king of the Segway. <laughs> sure. Now I'm picturing you on a Segway in your police uniform. <laughs> 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 oh, with your helmet on, of course, because safety, safety first. Yes. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, oh man, someone, someone, please Photoshop that, please, <laughs> please. Anyways, shall we move on to the Bible, Dave? Sure. But before we do that, I'm gonna throw you a curveball. Oh no! What? If people want to follow along with the show notes <laughs> while we're talking, uh, yes. How might they do that? While while they're listening to us, yes. oh, they can go to masterclassfm.com/slash/masterclass/slash/37 because that is the episode that we are on. Correct. And I will just have to say, Cam does a great job with the uh, show notes. I actually. Um, get great pleasure out of going through and looking through the uh, show notes after we are done with the show and be like, Oh yeah, that's right. Oh, that's fun. So well, he does do a good job. So it's, uh, it is a uh, worthwhile endeavor to follow along with the show notes. Should you choose to do so? And if you're listening on your mobile device, most likely your phone, Mm -hmm. uh, most, I should, well, most podcast applications, you are able to have the show notes right there in the podcast app. So mm-hmm. I know that a lot of them you can just... On my you, iPhone, I can. Yeah, you just slide up the artwork while the show is playing. And right there is the show notes full of links and all that good stuff. So... Yes. All right. David, mm-hmm. let us hear from the Word of God. I, yeah, I've been doing a lot of talking. I almost think you need to read the word. Of no, God we're, we're, we're making up for lost time here. I talked a ton last episode. <laughs> okay. All right. So we're at Matthew 10, 32 through 39. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my father who is in heaven. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not, uh oh, not come to. What am my phone doing there? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter in law against her mother in law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me, is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. All right. Yep. That's fun. Mm-hmm. So let's uh, finish up. We were going to cover 32 and 33 last week, mm-hmm. but we didn't because no. time. Yes. Uh, so let's start there, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, in verses 32 and 33, is Jesus giving an ultimatum? Um, I am going to say it is not an ultimatum. Uh, you may disagree with me. Um, I believe he is giving a choice here versus an ultimatum. And I am going to go so far as to say that this is something that I learned in college to be uh, what is called a Hobson's choice. Ooh. Yes. Do tell. So a Hobson's choice is, um, well, sometimes it's misunderstood to be a choice between some, um, I'm sorry, an illusion of choice. But the, the, the reality is that a Hobson's choice is a choice between something and a choice between nothing. And so... Um, as I read this, um, I don't think it's so much an ultimatum, um, as it is, uh, this kind of choice of, you can choose to acknowledge me before man, and then I will acknowledge you before God, or you can choose to not acknowledge me, and then therefore I am not going to acknowledge you before God. And so I, I, I do, I very much think this is a free will. We can choose to to acknowledge him, um, or we can choose not to. And those are really, 
you, you get a choice or nothing. <laughs> you know, you can do something or you can do nothing. Take it or leave it kind of a thing. So I don't know if that's what you were thinking or what where you were. Well, from, yeah. But- while you while you were talking, um, deep philosophy there. I uh, <laughs> Hobson's choice, Occam's razor, all of those fun. Yes, things, right? exactly. Um, I looked at the definition of ultimatum just so that I was making sure <laughs> I was correct. And so the, the the idea of an ultimatum is that I present you with an option, mm-hmm. and if you choose not to take the option, then there is a threat of right dealing with your non-compliance mm-hmm. um and so in that instinct or instinct what instance yes thank you <laughs> instance english is my primary language dave but bad english is my my strong second yes <laughs> um so yeah so could could this be considered an ultimatum I would say loosely because the threat is whoever denies me, if you're going to call it a threat in the ultimatum situation, whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my father. It's not a, it's not an aggressive threat. Mm -mm. No, it's much more passive. Like you said, do it. Great. We can be friends. Not okay. Don't do it. Like your choice. Yeah. You chose this. Um, so I mean, in the sense that, that Jesus will let our choice stand. And that is the, I mean, you could, it's, it's not like do this or I'm going to kill you. Yeah. You know, Jesus has a very set of, has a set of very specific skills, but you know, that's not the point of this. Um, so I am, I am tempted to agree with you that this is a, a choice versus a non-choice. And I guess the whole point of me asking this was not to get into a semantic. Right. No, I'm not discussion. Is just really what I guess it was a a mis misleading question is what is Jesus trying to get the people to understand that hear this? Because at first it seems kind of you know at first brush like an ultimatum, like do this or don't. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess all of this was meant to just say what's going on here and why does he give us the choice? I think there's a continuation um, again, as we talk about scripture and that each piece builds on this. And so, you know, Jesus had his ministry while he was here on earth. The apostles had their ministry while they were here on earth. And I guess to me, he he's looking a bit in the future here beyond the apostles. Um, I, I think he knows uh, what the apostles are going to do. Well, obviously he's God, so he knows. But Jesus and his human and the 12 disciples that he's chosen, short of Judas, I think he knows, I've got a good bunch of guys here. I know what they're going to choose. I know they're going to do it. And I may be taking liberty with this verse, but um, I, 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 I guess I have just have this sense of he's talking farther down the road uh, than his apostles. And he's talking about those people who are going to be believers. And he's just sort of saying, um, you need to understand what this being a Christian thing is all about. And we haven't gotten there yet. You know, eventually he gets to the Great Commission, but there's this sense of, you need to acknowledge me. And, um, I think this is fairly common in our world today, this sense of, I'm a Christian, but I don't really have to do anything about it. I can just call myself a Christian, and I get to say I believe in Jesus, and I get to go to heaven. Now, thankfully, I'm glad that's ultimately his decision, not mine, but um, I would say you're skating on thin ice to say, okay, I'm calling myself a Christian, and... I'm only going to acknowledge Jesus when I know it's safe and I'm a fr- I'm around my Christian friends that are going to pat me on the back because I talk about Jesus but as soon as I get anywhere else I'm not going to acknowledge him because it's probably not safe and um you know I think it's in the it's in the same line of that you know Lord Lord <laughs> uh we did this and we did that. And he's going to say, get away from me. I never knew you. So there's definitely an expectation on us to proclaim him and acknowledge him to others. Definitely. 
All right. Well, I think we can keep moving mm-hmm. on to uh, verse 34 through 39, which is um, hmm, kind of a, when you think about Jesus and the Bible, I don't know about you, Dave, <laughs> but in my experience, this is not the passage people are like, oh, you don't know Jesus? Check this guy out. He's going <laughs> to... Not bring peace, but a sword. He's going to set father against whatever other people. And, and I also laugh when it says, I'm going to set daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. I don't think Jesus has to set them against each other. I think that's just a natural. A natural. <laughs> <laughs> or, you know, I'm just, just leave in-law, that one alone. period. Like, not even guys, just like, yeah. Uh, now, I've been lucky. I have got great in-laws. But I have heard stories, Dave. Yes, I have good in-laws as well. So anyhow, uh, this, this is not probably the top. Like if you're going to show somebody Jesus for the first time, this is probably not the top five of what you're going to show them. No, because it's really controversial, right? As far as this is not what you, it's not lovey and it's not nice. No, that is true. Uh, And I, again, I'm 21st century American. But I would be willing to bet that you ask just about anybody about Jesus, and they're not going to come up with this. You're going to go to the miracles. You're going to go to you know the resurrection, forgiveness, yeah. grace, loving. Everybody died loved on everybody. the cross for our sins. Yeah. So that's all good and fine, but this is still in the Bible, mm-hmm. and this is still recorded as something that he said. So. We have to figure out why. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's kind of the purpose of this whole episode, because this is what people will call a tough um, saying of Jesus. It's, it's one of those that, like, if you're preaching, you might skip because <laughs> it's not easy. Mm-hmm. Um, so, again, just, just for a refresher, it says, Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So. Let's start at the beginning. What does Jesus mean when he says that I have not come to bring peace but a sword? That, that to me sounds, again, initially uh, contradictory to what Jesus came to do, which was provide salvation. Mm-hmm. So what's going on here, Dave? Well, I guess I would, my first question would be is, um, uh, where is our salvation? I mean, ultimately, what are we talking about when we talk about our salvation? When does that occur, and where does it occur? Why do you have to ask <laughs> answer a question with a question? With a much harder question. <laughs> well, okay, so what do you mean? Where is our salvation, and when does it happen? I, ultimately, where, you know, when he talks about, um, now I've even lost my train of thought a little bit here, of, I think he did bring peace, but I don't think he brought peace here on earth. I think he brought, I think he's talking about, like, I think we can get, we can wrap our heads around that we are going to get to heaven and there's going to peace, be peace there someday. But in this specific context and where he's talking, he's not talking about heaven and he's not talking about the future. He's talking about the very place where we live and breathe, our own homes. So, um, uh, I think it's Romans 5, 1. Uh, Therefore, we have been justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So when it comes to peace, Jesus is all about reconciling us with God and peace with us and God. Um, but anybody, because the reality is, I think when we start thinking about our experience, this isn't that far of a stretch for anybody. Think about being in a situation where you are not with Christians. 
you know, if you if if your family gathering, whether it be your nuclear family or your extended family, and you get together for Thanksgiving, and you are the only Christian sitting around that table, and you bring up the topic of Jesus, how is that conversation going to go? Pass the stuffing. <laughs> Just <laughs> skip right over it. <laughs> yeah, people are either going to change it, or it's going to become... Uh, people don't want to talk about Jesus. And I, and I think that is true just about anywhere you go. If you are not around other believers, if you are not with other people that uh, proclaim Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, and you bring him up, Jesus is a conversation killer. Jesus is a mood killer. I mean, it is just going to, it's, it is literally the needle across the record. It's like, and everything stops, <laughs> and it gets quiet, and everybody's looking at you. So I, I think from that aspect of it, it's not that far of a stretch for people to understand Jesus makes people uncomfortable. Yeah, he's really good at that. And so um, hit the language may be harsher than that, but ultimately I think that's what we're talking about is, like I said, if you just take a very practical look at any time you are in a context of being around non-Christians and you bring Jesus up, how is that received? It is not well received. <clears throat> And I'm trying to talk about this without becoming too political, <laughs> because it's literally like you can talk about anything, anywhere, you can defend anything until you decide I'm a Christian and I want to defend my Christianity, because then that's not politically correct and you can't talk about it. So. I have thoughts on political correctness. <laughs> I don't know if now is the time to share them. Probably not. Because who gets to decide? What's politically correct and what's not? Uh, the squeaky wheel gets the grease, I think, is what we're talking about there. So, well, anyways, let's 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 move on. <laughs> yeah, I think um, I agree. Let's start there. Um, but this whole the experience that I had growing up in the church um, was both very good and very terrible depending on you know what time frame we're talking about um and you know as a as a younger person i you know i was always taught that you know jesus is love and grace and mercy and and forgiveness and all of these things which are true um but it's not until i've you know become an adult and gone to grad school and and read the bible and experienced you know a lot more stuff do i realize that jesus really is as you said he's divisive like you're either for him or against him he's one of those those uh people that you cannot just be like meh about <laughs> that's true even though some people would say that they are they're like yeah yeah he's a nice guy he's a good teacher you you cannot ultimately land there because if you land there guess what you land in the the group of people that say that he's not who he says he was i mean there is there is a it's not even just like a line in the sand it's this giant chasm in the sand right mm -hmm. you either think that christ is is the son of god part of the trinity uh, that he defeated death that he died to save our lives from hell so that we could be with God eternally, or you don't, mm -hmm. whether that's, uh, you know, you're a, um, militant terrorist for a different religion, or you're just kind of like, whatever, man, you do, you all do me. We'll all get along. And you have a coexist sticker on your bumper. <laughs> it's all the same. I don't have one of those. No, I, I have thoughts on those too, but that's now is not the time, Dave. Um, so I, I think it's, it's very easy for us, especially, um, in cushy suburbia to focus on the, the nice things about Jesus, which we certainly should, because there are many, oh, many of them, yeah. but to, to completely disregard this sort of passage, which 
plainly speaks the truth about what Jesus is going to do to people and to families and to communities and to countries mm-hmm. is silly. I mean, you look at, there are folks in China and similar, you know, situations yeah. that are risking not only their, their familial ties and being on good terms with brother, <laughs> they're risking jail time, uh, you know, ruining their families essentially because of the gospel. Mm-hmm. And we see, you know, stories of this uh, from the martyrs, you know, early, like Jesus did not come to make our lives easier. The prosperity gospel is, <laughs> mm, I'll settle on ridiculous is what yeah. I will settle on. Um, Jesus did not come so that life here would be cushy. I mean, we've mentioned this last episode, all of the disciples died for what they believed in. Mm -hmm. John just had to do it in, you know, isolation. The other ones were, were, you know, murdered. Yeah. And when Christ calls us, like he does later on here, to pick up his cross and pick up our cross and follow him, that's not like, oh, just pick up your backpack. We're going to go on a day hike. (laughs) You know, Jesus is calling us to something way more difficult, way more dangerous, and I think far more permanent than a lot of folks understand. To your point, that people just go to church and say they're Christians, but don't have a full understanding of what that even means. And part of that is cultural. There are a lot of people that go to church on Sundays because that's what what you you do. do. Yeah. And, and, and am I happy that those people are in church? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Do I wish that the, the people that were teaching them had a better grasp of what being a Christian was? Yes. Yeah. Um, and, and I know I sound super negative right now about the church, but when you look at, and I'm speaking to myself here too, when you look at the the lives that Christian American American Christians are leading in general, which I realize speaking in generalities is not the greatest thing, but that's what we've got <laughs> to work with right now, is that it is clear that they are Americans first and then Christians second in their opulence, their desire for materialism and, and, and all that. And I say that and I'm sitting in the basement of a really nice house. And guess what's, what's going to happen when I'm done here and we leave our, you know, very expensive rig. I'm going to go back to my really nice house Mm -hmm. and onto my really nice computer with my second monitor. And (laughs) like, I understand that I've got it really, really, really good based on when and where I live. And I think that when when Jesus says stuff like this, obviously he was speaking to the people then. Clearly, that's without a doubt. But I also think it's one of those passages that we read now as as modern American Christians and go, "Oh yeah, that's right. Life isn't all roses," and and Jesus acknowledges that and tells us that and pretty much calls us to open our eyes to the world and realize that if we're going to live the life that that he has called us to live and how he's called us to live it. We're gonna piss people off. We're not gonna. We're not. <laughs> yeah. We're, we're not gonna be politically correct. We're not going to go along with what to go along with everything that culture says is correct. We are not going to put American values before Christian values. We are not going to put our culture before our God. Mm-hmm. And that is where the road starts to deviate, and where this sort of, you know, son against father sort of stuff happens because people are going to ultimately have to choose what am I following and how am I going to live? And those choices are incredibly serious and carry significant weight to them as far as how the rest of your life is going to go. Mm-hmm. So, <sighs> sorry. <laughs> Need to catch my breath now. Yeah, no. And that's, uh, you know, um, <sighs> It is, um, there, I, I guess what I'm trying to say is there's a, there's a deeper meaning to this, um, 
than just <laughs> I'm trying to avoid being political. I'm thinking very much about what went on in Paris in the last week. Well, it's hard not to. And 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 what um gets attributed to Islam and people want to want to argue well Islam is this and it's not that and um the reality is is that Islam is a violent religion. It really is. And the Quran calls for um, the infidel to be killed. And so when Jesus says, um, I didn't come to bring peace, but I came to bring a sword, um, he is not talking about the kind of violence that we see uh, associated with Islam. Uh, But I think what he is saying is that if you choose to follow him and you choose to make him Lord of your life, there is going to be conflict. It is not going to be easy and that you should expect that your faith is going to be uh, met with some resistance. And um, again, I don't think that's what people generally think of when they think about Christianity. I don't think that's what we immediately go to. And the reality is, is that uh, that is what happens. And um, I do believe that much of what we are experiencing in the world in terms of Islam and Christianity um, does kind of come to this whole, um, uh, you have the truth. And you you have what is not the truth, what are lies, and ultimately, um, I guess we're going to see uh, who wins in the end. I think <laughs> I know what I believe and all that sort of stuff. But um, I guess I'm going to I'm just going to stop there and 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 not uh, <laughs> ramble on anymore. In that, uh, Jesus is not advocating violence. I guess is one of the things I just want to be clear about. He is not talking about an actual sword and going out and killing people in the name of Jesus and that sort of a thing. He's talking about a figurative sword. And if you actually read this verse in, uh, I should have been more prepared for this, Luke 12, uh, 51, which is kind of the, the, the uh, parallel here. It says, do not think that I have come to give peace on earth. No, I tell you, but rather division. So instead of the word sword, he talks about the word division in that verse. And um, in a very real way, the division and the sword that Jesus is talking about is far more powerful, far more significant than any kind of physical violence that goes on uh, in this world. So just a different different perspective on Jesus, a different perspective than I think what some of us maybe have uh, when we think of him. So, All right. So let's talk about this whole family perspective here mm-hmm. where he's talking about son against or man against father or daughter against mother or daughter-in-law against mother-in-law uh, per, uh, a person's enemies will be those of his own household what does it look like or what does it mean to to love Jesus more than your family but still love your family mm-hmm. because i don't think Jesus is calling us to be you know that jerk uncle, mm-hmm. you know, that nobody likes. God calls us to, to love our neighbors and our family and to treat them with respect. But, but what does it look like to, to love Jesus more than the people that are closest to you? Um, I, I definitely think there's a, there's a comparison here. Um, the first context is for all of us, um to understand what love is if we were fortunate enough um to be brought up in a healthy home uh maybe even just sort of a semi dysfunctional home because i think to any extent any real family is somewhat dysfunctional <laughs> otherwise you're not really a family Preach. um but we get that sense of um 
you know, I, I guess I'll speak from the, the standpoint of uh, being a parent and having kids. Um, for me, that was one of those moments in my life where I had a deeper understanding of how much God loved me when I had my own kids, because there was truly nothing that my kids could do that would make me not love them. Um, I have two biological daughters, and then I have an adoptive, an adopted son. And um, my adopted son has been with us a little over three years now. We've known about him for uh, about five and a half years. Um, but he's in that same category with my daughters. I love him as much as I love them, and nothing that he could do to make me not love him. So for me, that is my perspective of how much I love something. There's this, this choice of, of um, choosing to love my children. And then when I take a look at that in comparison to God, when I think about what I would do for my kids and how I would protect them, I, I believe I would die for them. I mean, I, I just, I would do anything for them. And, I, and as I sit here and I say that, I believe that to be true. Uh, I know that sometimes there can be a disconnect between what we say and what we actually do. So when the, the rubber hits the road, hopefully that would actually be true for me. Hopefully, my love for God meets that and then some. Uh, because for me, if I think about the definition of love and the greatest love that I have, it is truly for my children. And God, my love for God needs to match that plus one, you know, just, it needs to be that, it needs to be a little bit more than what I love my family. So, yeah. So my, my initial reaction to to what you're saying is like, we are, we are always surrounded by family. Mm -hmm. They're the people that we see the most. They're the people that know us the best. Uh, They're the people that we do not everything, but a shocking amount of things with and for. And, and particularly the significant events of life. Exactly. Um, and, and you think about what goes into those relationships, and it's just time and exposure and communal experience. And then you wonder why churches are always like, read your Bible and pray. <laughs> How else are you going to get that communal experience with God if you're not engaging with him on a regular basis. Yes. And so, you, you know, I, I don't have kids yet, and, and I long for the day when I do, and I have that epiphany of, holy crap, this is what it means to love somebody. <laughs> like, I love my wife wholeheartedly, but I imagine that the love you have for a child is different. It is, yeah. Um, and I look very much forward to figuring out what that is. Right. Uh, Cause I've got no idea right now. Yeah. None. Um, but when I, when I think about my own life and I get frustrated about, I don't feel connected to God. I feel like I'm going through the motions. Um, church was great, but I just feel kind of, why am I not more godly? Why do I do things that I shouldn't do? And then I real I look at how I'm spending my time. And I'm like, well, no wonder I don't like I'm not spending any time with him. Like at all. And and there it just doesn't make sense that I could not spend time with him and then at the same time have this incredibly deep and rich relationship. That's not how it works. Yeah. And it's easier to do it with people because we live in the same house. We share the same food. We share the same car. Like there's the, the physical. Yeah. There's that physical piece. Um, proximity you have to those people only further heightens the, the familial love that you have for one another. And, and God does not present that to us because we can't touch him. We can't hit him when we're mad at him. We can't eat food with him. We can't go on trips together. Like all of the stuff that you can do with family that involves that physical aspect you can't really do with God because he's not in the same way that we are physically present. He's present everywhere. We're just really oblivious to it. And, you know, speaking for myself, um, time on my computer, uh, time 
listening to podcasts, time watching television, um, time with my wife, time staring at a wall (laughs) are all things that I do way more frequently and in much more longevity than I do spending time with God. And so, you know, listening to you talk about the way that you feel about your children, I know that that's how God feels about me, but I am not, my actions do not represent that same feeling for him, Mm -hmm. which is at the same time frustrating and embarrassing. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it just, you know, we, we want the quick, and I know I want the quick fix. How can I get closer to God? Well, read your Bible and pray. No, 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 no. Just tell me what I have to do to get closer to God. We'll read your Bible. No, there's gotta be another way to do it than other than reading my Bible and praying. No, that's what God has given us. Right. And the Holy spirit to communicate Mm -hmm. the things that we can't say because we don't know how and vice versa, how God can communicate with us. And so I just, we try and, make it again at the same time way more simple and way more complicated than it needs to be. It is it is as simple as reading the Bible for nourishment mm-hmm. and spending time with God in prayer. It is not more difficult than that. But as we have all proven, it's hard for us to go to those two places. Because I think, I think deep down, I know I know what I'm going to find there. Conviction that how I'm living my life is not the way that God has called me to live my life. The shame that goes along with that, which is Satan's way of saying, don't even read that. Why? You're just going to feel bad. Just go do stuff that makes you feel good. Why would you waste your time doing stuff that makes you feel bad? You know. And so I've got it's that double whammy of, of Satan being a total idiot which is the best term I can use. Um, And then my selfishness from not wanting to feel that way. When I know that if I spend the amount of time with God that I should be spending with him, that shame is going to go away so fast. It's going to be like flash paper. It's gone. And immediately I'm going to be like, Oh, okay, this is right. This is good. This is all of those things, but it's, you know, it's like you're a kid and your mom asks, did you break this window? <laughs> no. And then you catch yourself in the web of lies. And eventually after you've told like 75 other lies to cover up your initial one, you finally get caught and it's way worse than it would have been otherwise if you just owned up to it at the beginning. So here I am as a 29 year old, still acting like a five year old Dave. <laughs> I I think that's all of us. I think I really do. It's, um, what is wrong with us then? Goodness. That is that is a good question. That is a very good question. All right. Um what's next? Well, um one of the things that as we were talking about that I was thinking of um well, and I'm trying to get to my Bible verse here. Uh John 20:29. 20, And I'll read the English Standard Version. Jesus said to him, You believe because you have seen me. Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet believe. And as you were talking, and I was thinking about being a Christian in this world today, um, uh, there is this sense of we will be blessed because we didn't, you know, we didn't have this physical, like, okay, I can see you, Jesus, and I know what you did. I've seen the miracles that you've done. Um, and again, this comes down to faith of God just saying that there is a blessing for those of you who choose to uh, believe me, and yet you have not seen me. And um, that's just one of those small things that for me is is, is just kind of reassuring to know that, um, he, uh, one, yeah, I'm going to get blessed, but two, um, selfishly, there's this kind of like, Okay, Jesus acknowledges that this is hard. <laughs> that to follow him and not know who he is and not get to see him um uh takes a little bit of work. So well, and even to that point, you said Jesus knows that this is hard. And he knows that it's hard because his own life was hard. Mm-hmm. You know, there's that passage in Hebrews 
chapter four, where it says that, you know, we have this great high priest who has, uh, I'm going to paraphrase here because I don't have it in front of me, uh, struggled the same way that we have. He has known all, but he's done it without sin. <laughs> yeah. He's, he, he gets it. He understands that life is hard. He lived that life. His own mm-hmm. family disowned him for a time because they thought he was nuts. Right. And he did all of that. And then he went and died a terrible death. And so when Jesus is telling the disciples that this is going to be hard, that there is going to be division, there is going to be pain, there's going to be loss, there's going to be relationships that are never going to be the same again because of what you have, you know, chosen that that you've chosen to believe the truth and and they have not. Mm -hmm. I get it. I'm not talking. I'm I'm not telling you this from my, you know, golden throne where everything is right. Like you guys have no idea what's about to happen. I do. And I'm still telling you it's worth it. So mm-hmm. so so Jesus is not watching us suffer from, you know, uh behind his screen on his sofa while, you know, the drones come attack us. No, Jesus is speaking from real experience that this is hard. if it's hard for him of course it's going to be hard for us he was perfect we're idiots <laughs> you know what i mean and so uh, i just when when i actually sit and think about what jesus said and what he did while he was here on earth and what he continues to do in the lives of people around the world is that everything he says he backs up with experience yeah. He is not a car salesman. He is not a con man. He is someone that has said, look at how I lived. Look at what I've gone through. Nothing that you are dealing with am I unfamiliar with. Yeah. I have seen it. I have done it. I have gone through it. Join me. I know. I get it. Yeah. I understand. And yep. where else are you going to find that? Yeah, and I I think you're referring to Hebrews 4.15. Yes, it's, yeah. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are. And then these last three words, yet without sin. (laughs) And then verse 16, I think, continues with the thought and is reassuring for me. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. That we that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So, if I were to ever get a tattoo, <laughs> those two verses. Um, Caroline's asking me to get a tattoo over Thanksgiving with her. I think I'm going with Micah six eight. Ooh, that's a good one too. <laughs> Psalm one, Psalm one would be up there for me. I was too. gonna say I remember you talking about Psalm one in a previous episode. Psalm one. So. Um. Anyway. Yeah. Anyways, I don't think we got all the way through all of our questions again this week. <laughs> do Do we want to do one more? Sure. Oh, okay. Yeah, we can do one more. Let's see. Um. Let's drum roll. I'm a real softball here for you, Dave. I'm just gonna. <laughs> Right down mainstream. Yeah, don't say that because then I'll be like, uh. What does it mean to take up our cross and follow Jesus? Uh, and not to get a total cop out, but I do think um, <laughs> that this is much of what we have been talking about up until this point. And it's this idea of, um, and, and, it's just interesting as we sit here and we talk about this stuff because there's so much racing through my mind, and I hope I in some way manage to get out what it is that I'm thinking that um, I have often heard from people saying, uh, my faith is a private faith. I believe in Jesus. I believe I'm a Christian, and it's really nobody else's business what I do, what I don't do, how I live my life. Wrong. My faith is pri- private, yes. and so. Um, I think that that specifically that that's what this is talking about here is to um, to take our cross and follow Jesus. Um, it means that uh, we die to ourselves. 
It is no longer us who lives, but it is Jesus Christ that lives in us. Um, and even as I'm saying that, um, that's kind of this um, Christian answer versus any kind of uh, a practical application. So um, one of the things that I think our cross means is that uh, we don't worry about being right. Uh, when it comes to our daily interaction with other human beings. I think this, particularly for us in the world, well, I'll say this. For me in the world that I live in, being right is very important. Uh, being um, somebody that view, that, um, uh, and I'm, I'm losing my train of thought here, uh, but being right is very important. Um, and being somebody that, um, well, it's all about looking good. It's all about image. It's all about having our act together. And the reality is, is that um, we don't have our act together. We need Jesus. And God is glorified in our weakness. And uh, I, I'm wrestling with this right now of just um, doing things that I am not good at, doing things that I am out of my comfort zone. And... um and, and I mean, I'm talking about my job. I'm talking about the things that I do uh, to earn a living. And I'm trying to go, okay, God, be Lord of my life. Be Lord of the job that I do. And in my weakness, I ask that, that, that you're strong. I ask that, that I could kind of just acknowledge this um, uh, outward image that I want to give to people, that I have my act together, that I know what I'm doing. Um, I'm dependable, I can be counted on, I'm reliable, and I'm going to get the job done, I'm going to come through, and uh, the reality is, is I can't do that unless I have um, Jesus in my life. And then on top of that, when, I, when it goes well, I need to give him credit. <laughs> I really do. And when it doesn't go so well... I need to give him credit, and I need to acknowledge that my identity is not so much in my job. Um, I need to be willing to speak truth when there's opportunities to speak truth. Um, and it, it's just funny because I feel like lately there's so much tied up in, um, at least for me, it just seems like there's so much tied up in terms of of, of politics and this political correctness and and all these kind of things because um, as much as I want to live for Jesus and I want to be an example for him, hmm, and I don't even know that I can, I'm correct in what I'm saying this. Um, maybe this is something that I'm going to have to revisit, but um, there isn't, there's just this element of dying to ourself where. I don't always get to be right. I don't always get to look good. I don't always get this. Um, I don't get to have this external image, this mask that I want to put out to, to people that I have my stuff together. Um, because really he is glorified in my weakness. And I have such this temptation, such this desire to present to people that, you know, Dave has his act together and I don't. Yeah. No weaknesses to see here. Keep yeah. Moving along. Yeah. So I, I, uh, I agree. I think one of the things that, you know, when I, when I read that question, what does it mean to take up our cross and follow Jesus? I'm, I'm thinking like very, uh, physically the act of carrying a cross is not comfortable. No, is not easy. No, is, uh, looked down upon as, you know, people that, we're doing that where criminals are about to be murdered, you know? And so when, when Jesus tells us that we have to do that with him and carry that burden, um, right then and there, I'm thinking, this is Jesus telling me life is not easy and to get over it. Yeah. Life is hard mm -hmm. and there is tragedy and there is sadness and there is difficulty and it is, it takes work and it takes effort. And, you know, I, I have grown up. I love comfort. I love being comfortable. 
I choose comfort over style every day. And I work on a perfect, you know, so like I didn't even wear a belt to work today because I had a sweater that covered my <laughs> waist, waist. So nobody knew. Boom. Way more comfortable. Right. And I do that on a regular basis. I wear sweatpants because they're comfortable. I sit on couches because they're comfortable. Like I do things that make me feel good and make life easier. Yeah. And that is my default. How can I be more comfortable? How I, I can't remember the last time I worked out. Yeah, I don't either. <laughs> because working out's not comfortable. Yeah. You know, it's good for me, but it sucks. Yeah. I should do it way more than I do. And I make excuses. I don't have time. And it comes down to comfort yeah. and being lazy. And when I read this, those two words, comfort and lazy, go out the window. Yeah. When Jesus says, pick up your cross and follow me. Do the work necessary to follow me. Yeah. Be okay with being uncomfortable, with working hard, with being looked down upon. You know, a lot of what you said, you're not, you don't have your act together. This is proof that you don't. You need me. Mm-hmm. And be okay with that. And, and he's glorified in that. But Which I, is so weird. I know. <laughs> but I choose to make myself look better than allow him to be glorified in my weakness. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is... If I had to sum up what I do day in, day out. Yeah. It's. And that's what it comes down to us or him. And we choose us Mm -hmm. again, me choosing comfort and ease of life is me choosing the, the very temporal, very fleeting me in that moment, as opposed to choosing to honor God. Yeah. And I'm going to, I'm going to kind of interject here. I'm, I'm, I'm just so reminded of my younger daughter who was a witness to me in that there was a fundraiser. The fundraiser at their school was to have a volleyball tournament. They put together a team. She happened to be the quote-unquote coach of her team, and the team put together a bunch of T-shirts. The T-shirts were um, sexually suggestive uh, against my daughter's kind of like, I don't want you to do this. They did it anyway. They gave her a T-shirt, and she just looked at her team, and she said, guys, you shouldn't have done this. We shouldn't wear these to school. Don't do it. And multiple players of the team wore the t-shirt. She did not. Uh, They ended up being called down to the principal's office over this. And um, if you'd like to get in touch with us, (laughs) please feel free to do so. Uh, We like, we like feedback. Yes. Input being criticism. Well, we don't like that, but sure we do. There's a we don't like it, but we'll accept it. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, it's not like ooh, yay, we were wrong again. But it's the oh, okay. We need, we need, we just because we have the microphones doesn't mean we're right. Absolutely, and we know that and admit that. Um, but we just we do like to to talk with people. I mean, we sit here and talk to each other for over an hour <laughs> every week. And that's just what we record people. There's much more that doesn't get recorded. Um, but you know, we're, we don't want to do this in isolation. We want to have conversations and I hope that we've proven that thus far. So if you want to get in touch, you can, uh, get us on Twitter at masterclass FM, or you can email us masterclass FM at gmail.com. You can get the show notes at masterclass FM.com slash masterclass slash 37. I don't know why I just did that. It's all right. I think that means it's time to go home. Sure. All right. Well, until next time, guys and ladies, hasta la vista. God bless. Goodbye.